Today's daf is daf mem tes. We are holding at the Mishnah at the bottom of mem ches amud beis. Zog de the Mishnah. Shorshay miskabel chaveir vehikas ha'isha. We have an ox that was eyeing another ox, was going to damage another ox, and inadvertently uh, gored a pregnant woman. V'yotzu yoladeho, causing her to miscarriage. Potter vladas. As we've learned before in the Masechta, is that the din that you have to pay for the fetus is only when it's a person strikes the woman, not when it's an animal. So if the animal strikes this woman, he does not, the owner of the ox does not have to pay for the value of the fetus. Now, if there are other damages involved, that he would have to pay for. I mean, she, he caused the, the ox gourd and, and, and caused her to broke her, break her leg or whatever that, but in terms of paying for the actual fetuses, that is only when it's a man strikes a pregnant woman, not when an ox strikes a pregnant woman. But if a person had intent to hit a, his fellow man, and then inadvertently strikes the woman and she doesn't die, as we've learned before, and she miscarries, and not such, such a case, the a person has to pay the husband the value of the fetus. Ketzad Meshalem, how exactly do a, we evaluate the Dmei Vlados? Shamanis Aisha, Kamahiyafa, Achaloyalda, the Kamahiyafa, Mishayalda. So Tanakama says, well, let's assess what are people going to pay for a woman if she's pregnant, and now that she's lost the child, so therefore, how much does it go down? What do they pay for her now that she has lost the child? And that difference calculates for you what the Dmei Vladas, what has to be paid. Amr of Shimon Gamliel. Shimon Gamliel says something, we'll have to see the more two explanations of this, but it's, it's, the simplest translation is, he, he seems to be saying that a woman that is pregnant, actually, uh, we're going to see there's a swaro that back in the day, many pregnant women did not survive pregnancy. And it's very possible that she's gonna be worth more after she loses the fetus, then she's worth before she loses the fetus. So actually it's gonna come out not having any payment being made if that's the way you calculate it. Once she gives birth, she actually appreciates uh, in, in value, not depreciates. What you have to calculate is Focus, even though we had a sugi about this before, take a look at Tosfus there, but we're not going to get into it now. But he said what you have to focus is that if somebody wants to buy the fetus, what's the value of paying for the fetus as opposed to paying for a baby? Meaning, well, there's a chances that the fetus might not make it. You have to calculate that because things are okay. And that's what you focus on, the value of the fetus itself, but not vis-a-vis how it impacts on the woman. Because if you take into account how it's impacting on the woman as a whole, says Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, you might not come out with a payment. So therefore, that, that, that's at least according to one explanation. We'll see a different explanation in the Gemara. So therefore, it's a, so therefore, and that is what is given to the husband. Now, let's say we're dealing with a woman that is not have a husband. So the Noisen Yarshov, so his those who inherit him, those who step into his shoes, have the same rights as the Torah gave him. Just as the Torah said, give it to the husband. So if there's no husband, meaning it doesn't have to be actually three marriage, but if there's no father of this fetus, so then you will give it to his inheritors. All right? 
So here we have a, sta- a line that needs a little bit of explanation. Let's say she herself was a shifcha that was released, which means that makes her into a convert, or she actually converted without being a shifcha. So in such a case, putter, there is no payment made of the vlada. So that, that in and of itself is difficult to understand. Let's say she married a regular Yisrael, he impregnates her, Someone strikes her, causes her to lose the fetus. Why is there no payment, right? So Rashi points out that it's not referring to a situation where she married a regular Yisrael. Generally, people marry to their equal status. So what it's saying is that she was a Shivcha or she was a Gioris. She was a Shivcha Shnishtachra or she was a Gioris. So that means who also married either someone had been an Eved and had been released or married a Ger. So it means not only doesn't she have any relatives, but it means that he does not have any relatives. And we're talking about a situation where he died. Where he died, so he does not have relatives to inherit him. All right? So in such a case, Potter, there will not be, the payment will not be made. Now, we're going to talk about why doesn't she get it? We'll discuss why if he doesn't have, he's not around or he doesn't have inheritors, why doesn't it go to her? We'll discuss that, 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 that question. The other point that Rashi makes over here is very interesting. It says that she was a shivcha and she was nishtachra and she became released. Why don't we just use the word we find very often, meshukreris. Just say the word, she, was a, she had been a released shivcha. Why doesn't it say she was a shivcha that became meshukreris? So Rashi says, because it wants to tell you that she has just been released and there wasn't enough time for her to have any children with her husband. Because even if he was a ger or an evid meshukhrer and she was a meshukhrerer, if they had children, so then it would go to the child. The way it's telling you is that, the, the, that she just got recently released and this is their first child, means it's saying she was a shivcha who now got released as opposed to saying she was a Meshachreris. Was a Meshachreris means she could be a Meshachreris for 10 years and there could be other children. That's why it uses the expression to show there are no other children. But two points again. Number one, it's not just that she's the Gioris or she's the Meshachreris. It's the man she's marrying also is that, therefore there are no heirs, there are no relatives. And it's talking about where he died that then says that the result is that the, the Mazik, the one who damaged her, causes her to lose the child, does not make the payment does not have to pay. So we're going to circle back to explaining this. Let's keep going. Says the Gemara like this. The simple reading of the Mishnah requires some explanation. It says that the, uh, that, that the ox intended to gore another ox and then somehow she got in the mix and the pregnant woman was gored. If you read it, that, if you're just, just reading it the way uh, it's, it's written, implies why is there no payment because the intent of the ox was not to the woman the intent of the ox was to another ox and the woman said but that's not true that's not true the halacha is going to see is that by an ox you never pay for the fetus of a woman when he gores why does it have to be whether he intended to gore another ox and then gored her why not say that he gored her directly the implication is because the ox tried to gore another ox Han discovered the Isha, which implies that if he gored the Isha directly, then they would have to pay for the fetuses. 
So Lehman Tavati Yovda to Rav Adah Barava, this would refute the ruling of Rav Adah Barava. We learned, Membez, what we learned about a week ago, Rav Adah Barava said that if Shvarim Shin is Kavna Isha, that when it's uh, that when ox, even if they intend to gore a woman, they might have to pay other damages, but they don't pay for the vlados. So the question over here, so why you have to have a case where it's ox wanted to gore another ox? Even if he wanted to gore the isha directly, the same Allah would be outcome. So why is it written that way in the Mishnah? Should not be arguing with a Mishnah or an implication of a Mishnah. So Amalakrabarava would respond to you the following. Who are din? You're right. The same halacha would apply whether it's the afilis kavan isha, even if the ox intended to gore a woman. It doesn't have to be dafki intended to gore another ox. Nami paturin. They also the isha also would be potter mit mevlados from the mevlados. But the reason why it's written not like that. It's written that the ox wanted to gore another ox. Because the next case in the Mishnah is written that it's a man who wants to hit another man. So since in the case of when it's a man who wants to hit another man, hit a pregnant woman, that's why it writes an ox who wanted to go another ox that, that, and hit a pregnant woman. Now you're going to ask me, well, why in the case of the person does it have to write a man who wanted to hit another man and hits a pregnant woman? The truth of the matter is that the halacha should be the same even if the man hits a pregnant woman and intended to hit her, as long as she doesn't die, he should have to pay for the fetus. So why is it written a man who wants to hit another man and then hits a pregnant woman? The reason for that explains the Gemara, because the, the, the Mishnah is just paraphrasing the case in the Torah. And since the case in the Torah was written when man, one man is fighting with another man and inadvertently they hit a pregnant woman, that's why it uses the case by a man hitting a pregnant woman, it's a man fighting with another man. But once in the second half of the mission, it's a man fighting with another man by the ox. It's an ox fighting with another ox. But it doesn't, you cannot deduce from it that the halacha would be any different if the ox wanted to gore the woman directly. It's just for, uh, uh, for streamlining, uh, making sure that you have consistency in the cases. Does it ride it that way? But in fact, it's just the congruency of the Mishnah, but it's not for halachi, for legal implication purposes. So it says like this. Since in the second half of the Mishnah, it says, It talks about a man who wanted to strike another man. And why does it talk about it in that case? Because the Hachaksiv Krok, because that's the way it's written in the Torah. So Ketani Reisha, therefore, in the first part of the Mishnah, it's also talking about an ox who wants to strike another ox. Okay. So it's more like this. That uh, Amar Rav Papas. Rav Papas says the following. We've been talking about here is that an ox gored a person, gored a, a, a regular Bas Yisrael who was pregnant, or a Meshukreres, or uh, that, that woman, but she's a, a. What happens if the ox gored a, a, a Shivcha Kananis, a, 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 a Knani slave that happened to be pregnant as well? So here the Gemara is going to say, here, the, the owner of the ox is going to have to pay. Why is he going to have to pay? So the, the Gemara, uh, I guess not that PC, but the way the Gemara compares it, it's no difference to whether the ox gored a pregnant donkey. Remember, a slave is the, is the owner, is, is owned, is chattel. 
is, is the property of its owner. And therefore, if you damage property of someone, you have to pay for it. So therefore, the fact that it happens to be that it was a fetus that was gored by the animal, even though we find by a person, there's a special din, there's a custom, that when you gore somebody's, uh, uh, a pregnant woman, when an animal gores a pregnant woman, that there's no payment on the fetus, right? Because really, in essence, nobody owns the fetus. You can't really make the guy pay for the fetus. The Torah awards a payment when it's a person hits a pregnant woman, you have to pay the, the, the husband for the fetus. But, but no one really owns it, but you have to pay for it, fine. But in a case where it's an ox who gores a pregnant woman, we can't make you go ahead and pay for it because nobody owns it and therefore there's no assessment of payment in that case. But if you gore a pregnant woman and, and, and she is a Shivra Kananis, somebody does own that fetus. Who owns that fetus? The owner of the slave. Therefore, there you do. There you do pay for the fetus, right? That's what the one says. Like, you, it's like your animal gored a pregnant donkey. You'd have to pay for it. So it's no difference. So Amar of Papa, and it caused her to miscarriage. Miss need to be paid over there. The the value of the fetus must be paid to the owner of the uh, of the shivcha. My time. What's the difference? Because it's no different than having dam- uh, damaged the gore damage a pregnant donkey would be the same aloha it's owned it's chattel it's owned by the uh, by the owner of the slave as the Pazik says Avram said to those attendants who are with him you stay here with the donkey now who was at least one of the two who was there it was Eliezer. Eliezer was a, an, um, a, 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 an Evid Knani. And Ima Chamor, wait with the Chamor, is also, Im, you take out with no Nakudos, can be read as Am. Am, it's the nation. You are like the nation that are like, similar to a donkey. The same way as a Knani, who's by definition considered by the curse of Noah a slave. Therefore, you are like, they're like, like, like considered Am Adom Chamor. You are a kidney. To a donkey. Let's bring that in. So it means the ownership of the person, of the person who owns the Ebed. It's like owning a donkey, and therefore you have to pay full damages in such a case. Okay, let's go weiter. So Mishnah said like this: Case of Mishalom Levos. We wanted to know, according to Tanakama, how do we calculate? How do we assess how much needs to be paid? So we said, well, you take a look. What was the woman worth before? What was she worth after? Obviously, Tanakama holds that we assume that there is going to be a depreciation based on what she was when she's pregnant to what she was the, uh, after she miscarries. And that's the amount, that's the gap that has to be made up by the uh, mazik. And he has to pay the owner, he has to pay the, the husband of this woman, or, the, or the, at least the man who impregnated her. Now what the Gemara is going to be dealing with as follows, and we touched on this earlier uh, this week, we touched on this as well. By concerned by by a by a pregnant animal, but the Morris is the same thing. The Morris says is that when a woman is pregnant, so there is the value of the fetus that she carries, but there is also the fact that she herself appears more robust, right? She has a she looks more gesund, right? When she has she's with child, and therefore on the market. There, there are two things that have to be t- taken into account when she's pregnant. A, the value of a future 
Uber, when this, this, this fetus comes to fruition, and B, right now, she has this robust value that brings in some money, whereas if she now miscarries, you've taken away, I guess, what we call the glow of, 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 of pregnancy, the certain vibrancy and robustness that a woman has when she's pregnant. So what the Gemara wants to know, why is it that you say that the amount that is assessed to be paid is specifically the value of the fetus? Why don't we take into account also that what you made, there be, the, the loss that you caused by making her miscarriage also depreciates the value of the Isha herself from that robustness, that vibrancy that she had prior to giving birth. That's what the one's question is. So Dmei Vlados is specifically saying the value of the offspring, but Shvach Vlados, uh, no, that's the way the Gidebach puts in. It should not only be the Dmei Vlados, but should be Shvach Vlados may boil a lake, but it should also be the appreciation that is caused by the fetus being there vis-a-vis how it impacts on the total appearance of the woman, that's the shvach vladas. That's the, the the value, the appreciation that's caused by the fetus to the value of the woman. Why isn't that being taken into account? So the Gemara says, "Enachinami." According to the Tanakhama, Hachikamah, no, when we talk about assessing the value of what she was before and what she's after, is incorporating not only the fetus itself, the mayflowers, but the impact of the fetus on the woman as well is being included as well. Shamanas Isha is assessed. How much she's worth before she gave birth, and and how much she's worth after she gives birth. Now it's interesting, and the Gemara is going to point out the Tanakama holds that that amount entirely is given to who? The husband. The husband. Even though the appreciation caused by the fetus is, is appreciating the value of the Isha, and it's still saying the Shvach Vlados, since it's caused by the fetus, goes to the husband as well, according to the Tanakam. We're going to see not everybody will necessarily agree with that statement. But that is what the Tanakam meant. He didn't just mean the value of the fetus itself. It's the value and the impact that the fetus makes over the Isha that now has been lost. That package deal is awarded to the husband. Now... Amr of Shimon Gamaliel. So let's come. Shimon Gamaliel now, he is dissenting opinion. He disagrees with the Tanakhama. He said, Im Now the simple translation was, if so, when she gives birth, she appreciates. That's what he seems to be saying. She goes up in, she goes up in value. Which, so the question is, what, okay, my comment, what exactly is what Shimon Gamaliel saying? Tanakhama, we know what the Tanakhama is saying. Tanakhama is saying is, is that, the woman, that the, 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 the loss of the fetus is causing depreciation both vis-a-vis the fetus being lost and the overall impact that it had on the woman is being lost and that amount needs to be assessed and paid to the husband. That's what Tanakam is saying. What is Rav Shimon Gamliel saying is that he says that when she gave birth, then she's Meshabach. What he's trying to say? So I'm a rabbi. So rabbi is going to be to my chlokas here, but rabbi, I believe rabbi of Chista. But let's take a look at rabbi. Uh, uh, Rabbi and Rabbi. What, what does it say? So Rabbi says like this. He says that, that is it true that a pregnant woman 
is worth more than after she gives birth. It's not necessarily true, right? Is that if you go try and value on a market using on a slave market, you might find actually that a woman having given birth is actually brings in more money than one that's pregnant. Now I thought when I first read this, why? Because a pregnant woman can't do the same kind of work that maybe a woman that has Given birth. But, 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 but Raji says something different. Raji explains that back in the day that they didn't have the OBGYN care that we have today. And many women died as a result, Rahman Oswan, as a result of childbirth. And therefore, you could say to yourself is that if you're doing this, selling it on a slave market, you're calculating what she was worth before to what she is worth now. Rav Shimon Gamliel is saying is, you might end up not coming up having to pay anything because people might say, okay, she has, she's got a, a fetus that might turn into a child and, right, as, and as a slave, let's say, it might be worth something as a slave. But who would want to take a chance? If she hasn't given birth yet, maybe she might die in, in, in childbirth. And therefore, Shemin Kabbalah says, you can't say, let's calculate what she was worth before to what she's worth after, because actually, she might be worth more after than before. And, you're, and, and you would not end up to have to pay anything. That's, according to at least according to Rabbah, what the problem of Shimon Gamlil has with the Tanakhama's way of evaluating. So therefore, Ella says, what does Rav Shimon Gamliel say? That when we calculate the value of the, uh, of, of the fetus, we have to look at the value of the fetus itself and not vis-a-vis the value of the woman in her entirety. That's how you calculate how much you have to pay. So Ella, Shamanis Avlados, Venosin Labal. And that is what is paid to the husband. So according to the first answer, Rav Shimon Gamliel, according to the explanation of Shimon Gamliel, the first explanation, Rav Shimon Gamliel is of the opinion that when we assess the value to get the value of the Uber, unlike the Tanakama, who says, well, what would a pregnant woman go on the market before she gives birth and after she gives birth, assuming that there's a depreciation in that, Rav Shimon Gamliel says you cannot assume depreciation in that situation, and therefore the only way to calculate that there is a value that is being paid is what would a person pay for the unborn fetus on its own, not taking into account the value of the Isha per se before she gave birth and after she gave birth, because again, that might cause a, a, an appreciation later on, not a depreciation. That is what Rabbi Shimon Gamliel uh, is saying. A shaman is of blood as a nose and low. We evaluate and assess the value of the fetus itself without looking at her, how much will this fetus go for in the market with the potential of being a healthy born child? That's how we calculate it. Tanya Namiachi, the Mora brings down a Bryce, it doesn't mention Rav Shimon Gamliel's name explicitly, but as the Mephorshim explained over here, this is Rav Shimon Gamliel's Shita, clearly Rabbah holds, because we'll see the Chi, Isha, Meshubachas, Kodem Shetelet, Yos Melach Shetelet, Rav Shimon Gamliel's Tanya Namishnah. How can you assume that the woman's going to be worth more? And it's going to be worth less after she gave birth when she went when she gave birth. It's possible that she goes up in value after she gave birth because she survives the birth than before she goes birth. So therefore, that can't be the way to calculate. Except that what, what you have to do is you evaluate the vlad, 
You evaluate the fetus, okay? And it could be, by the way, the fetus and the impact of the fetus if you're gonna take into the schwach bladders, but that is assessed and that is given to the husband. Payments are made to the husband. Right, that was explanation number one in Rav Shem Gamaliel. Now, Rava disagrees. Rava, we're gonna see how he's disagreeing. Uh, is, it some, is he just disagreeing understanding the Mishnah that way or he's actually disagreeing the Halacha? We'll have to hold off. But Rava Amar says that, that the way to explain Rav Shem Gamaliel is a different way. Hachi That the way you have to explain Rav Shem Gamaliel is as follows. Is v'chi isha lemisha yoledes meshubachas Mean like this, that Rav Shemin Gamliel is responding to the second point that, that, that the Tanakhama made. Remember, Tanakhama, we learned uh, earlier, he was saying as follows, is that when you evaluate the fetus, you're not just evaluating the value of what the fetus is to pay the husband, you also evaluate the shvach, what impact did the fetus have on the woman, made her look more robust, more energetic, more vital, glowing, right? And therefore, and that amount also that's been lost, according to Tanakama, has to be paid to the husband. On that, that point, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel has a problem with the, with the Tanakama. He says, Lechorah, I understand, you want to tell me that the Torah is awarding the fetus to the husband. I can understand that. But the impact of the fetus, the chorah, is not just about the fetus. Who's it impacting in? It's causing the isha to look more vital, the isha to look more energetic. The chorah, why should that, devi- that devaluation that is lost through the miscarriage of the isha, why should that go to the husband? It impacted on the isha herself. Right? There's no question, as we're going to see, there's no question that if this ox, if this person, uh, went and damaged the woman and at the same time broke her arm. There's no question over there is that she has rights to at least part of those payments because it affected her. So therefore, why should she uh, say, why do we evaluate, according to Tanakama, the full value of the fetus plus the impact that it made on her? And why is all of that given to the husband? That's how Rav, that's what Rava learned the ta- that Rav Shimon Gamaliel is disagreeing with the Tanakama. Now how to read it the Mishnah, we're going to have to see. The Rav Amahachikatani. What the Mishnah is saying, Rishim Gamliel is saying, is the Chi Isha Lemisha Yoledes Meshabachas that this woman, when she appreciates, right, that uh, uh, is her appreciation only to the man that she's giving birth for, to give it to the father of uh, to the father of the baby. That's her appreciation is only for him. There's no, it's not, it's not, she's not appreciation for, there's no appreciation for herself. The Aengla she doesn't have any appreciation that he's caused uh, through the baby, the, uh, the fetus for herself. So that's what, that's the question that Rob is disagreeing. Now, when it says, I mean, that, so the way you have to read it in Rabshim Gamliel, uh, what, what, what he was saying, what was the, the wording of Rav Shimon Gamliel? So uh, his words were, let me see the case. I'm Rav Shimon Gamliel. V'chi isha, imkein mesha isha letes meshabachas. He was saying something like that when the woman gives birth, is she only appraised, does she go up in value only for the husband? And therefore, and not for herself, you have to take it as if she's going up for herself too. She should have a cut out of it as well. So therefore, what does Reb Shimon Gamliel hold? El Shamanis, uh, uh, was a place? El Shamanis of Lodos, Benos Mabali, the actual fetus itself, the Torah is awarded to the husband, fine. But Shvach Vlados, 
but the appreciation that is caused uh, through the fetus being in her that impacts on her, Cholkin, there at least has to be split 50-50. There you have to divide that up. That is not just, that's not only to the, uh, the husband, that goes to her as well. And that is the point of contention between Abshim and Gamliel and the Tanakama. So there, but that is, uh, and now Tanya Namiachi, now Rava has a brisa supporting his position. Again, does the woman decrease in value because of the pregnancy? Uh, sorry, does the woman increase in value because of the pregnancy? Only because of for the man, for the man who she's giving birth for. But but the appreciation that she has through being pregnant, what she has no rights to it at all. The nezek, the damage, that avada, that is calculated by itself. And therefore, if she has any kind of damage caused independent of the loss of the baby, that has to be calculated and she has a right to that. And as well as the tsar, any pain that is caused in additional to what she would have had at childbirth, any pain that is caused because of this, she has a right to collect that for herself as well. However, the shamanas of blood is with us above. And, and, and the offspring itself, the fetus, the Torah water to the husband, that's in the posset. But the shvach vlados, the appreciation through the impact of having the child, that cholkin they have to divide. So we have two different ways of understanding what Rabbi Shimon Gamliel was saying. According to the first way, which was Rabbi's way, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says you can't just assess what she was worth before and what she was worth after because it might go down because, because of the fact that so many women die in childbirth. And that's what Rabbi Shimon Gamliel was disagreeing. You have to focus on the fetus and the impact of the fetus on its own without looking at the total effect of how it changed from before and after. That was explanation number one. Explanation number two in Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel is, is that the Tanakhama said that the husband gets the fetus and the impact that the fetus has on the woman. And on that, that Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel says, why should he get the full value of the impact on the woman? Her going up and appreciating when she's pregnant, it's not only for the husband, that's for herself too. And that should be split. At least that should be divided 50-50. That is, so now, but the Moran says like this, we had a brisa that Rabba brought, and we have a Bryce here that Rabba brings, and they seem to argue with one another. Why? Because in the Bryce, the first Bryce uh, that we said was Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, over there, he said the only argument was how to assess. Do we assess focusing on the Isha, or do we assess focusing on the Uber, right? And there, the Tanakh Rabbi Shimon Gamliel learned is that we look at the Uber and the impact that the Uber has in, in individually, and all of that is awarded to the husband, which implies that the shvach, that the, what the woman goes up in value, also is all awarded, according to the husband. Because the only argument between the Tanakhama and, uh, and it seems to be whether or not we take what she was worth before and what she's worth after, or do we just look at focus on the Uber by itself? In the second price, which is brought by Rava, Clearly, Rav Shimon Gamliel is saying that what she appreciates through the pregnancy is at least 50-50 divided. So it seems to be Kasha, Rav Shimon Gamliel, Rav Shimon Gamliel seems to be contradicting himself. So Mora says, look, Kasha. Now it's very interesting. This, the way that Mora now reconciles, comes out that there really is no machlokas here between Rabba and Rava. They're just talking about how to explain the Mishnah according to different circumstances. Now, let me ask you the question. When are we more concerned with can a woman make it through childbirth? 
if she's had children before or this is her first birth? First birth. Obviously, right? That's it. So he says that the way Rabbah understood the Mishnah, he's talking about, it's called the Mivakeris. It's her first birth. So in her first birth, She's got no track record of been making it through a pregnancy. That's where Rabbah says that I'm, if you're going to just look at what she was worth before and what, uh, and what she's worth now, all right, people might say it was a first birth, a first birth. Obviously, she's worth more because we see she made it through the pregnancy. We never know she could make it through the first pregnancy. And that's why, and that's the way in, uh, where we focus on her specifically, I mean, on the Uber specifically, as opposed to the uh the before and after whereas what 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 uh rava is saying is that if we do focus on the before and after and if we split the shvach is it why because we're talking about where a woman's given birth multiple times or already uh, but before she's already gone through a successful birth therefore this the, the 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 degree that we're concerned about her survival is much uh, less of a concern, and therefore, the, uh, the, the therefore there will be a significant appreci- uh, depreciation from what she was to what she is, and people would pay more for her pregnant because they're more con- they're, they're less concerned about her not being able to pull through. Says Loi Kasha, Kan Vakeres, Kan Vshein Vakeres. One is talking about Vakeres from the word Bechor. It's a firstborn, and one is talking about that she's had children before. So therefore. When Rabbi Shemim Gamliel says that her value goes down in pregnancy and goes up after pregnancy, that's the first pregnant. But when it says that it actually goes down when she's pregnant to being non-pregnant, it went back, that's talking about uh, the, where she had had a child before. Okay, let's go right to it. Um, now, the Mordor says like this, the Tanakhama held he disagreed with Rav Shimon Gamliel. The Tanakama held is that not only does the fetus go to the husband, but the impact of the fetus, how it impacts on her and makes her appraise at a higher value, that goes to the, the husband too, if the, to, the, to the person that has to pay that, the person who damaged her and causes her to lose that. So the Chachamim say that the appreciation that come in, uh, not, through, not the fetus itself, but because of the fetus, how it impacts on a body, that also goes to the husband. My time, or what's the reason? Because at least, the Shemim Gamal at least it be 50-50. Why should it all go to the husband? She says, it's, a, it's based on the Pazik, because the Pazik says, if a, two men are fighting, and, he, and one of them strike a pregnant woman and causes her to miscarriage. What clause is redundant in that possible? Anybody? Two men are fighting, one strikes a pregnant woman, causes her to miscarriage. What clause is redundant? So let me tell you. If she- it causes her. What? Said struck a woman and then her. I mean, it's, it's, yes. It's, Why did it have to say struck a pregnant woman? Isha Obviously, if she miscarriages. What does that tell us about her? That she had been pregnant. So why did it have to say it struck a pregnant woman? What's the purpose of writing that she describing her as a pregnant? Just say struck a woman and she miscarried. Obviously, I know that she is pregnant. So what is this? my time? But what's the reason? The sign learned in a bride. So from the fact that the pasuk states. 
that she miscarried. Amy, a day, do I not know she harder that she is pregnant? So why does it have to say he struck a pregnant woman? To teach me like this, it's calling her, it says that he struck a pregnant woman and now the payments have to be made to the husband. Means why does it speak about the fact that she's pregnant? Because it's telling you that all aspects of the pregnancy have to be paid to the husband. Means not just the fetus has to be paid, but what has to be paid as well, has to be paid is the appreciation that is caused in the woman because of the fetus also has to go to the husband. So the reason why it calls her a pregnant woman to tell you, because the next line, it talks about that the payment has to be made. The payment has to be made not just for the fetus, but for all the appreciation aspects that the fetus causes, even in the Isha itself. That's how the Chachamim learned, from the extra word hara, that she was pregnant. Now, what about Rav Shimon Gamliel? He disagreed with that. He said that she should at least have part of what was her appreciation was. So how do you see that? So what does he do with the word hara? Why does the Torah have to say that she was pregnant? According to him, it's not coming to tell me that that has to be paid to the husband. So why does it have to use the extra word that she was pregnant? So I hara my darish What does he darshan from it? So me boyle He needs it for the following b'risa. Rav Lazar, Rav Yaakov Omer. He bases it on the teaching of Rav Lazar Yaakov. Rav Yaakov says, that the man who has to pay for the miscarriage is only where he strikes her close to where the baby is, close to the, uh, around the womb. Only if you strike around the womb do you have to pay for the fetus. Meaning that if you hit her another part of the body, and then and, 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 and the stress and the pain that it caused her causes her to miscarry, you will not pay for the fetus. Why? Because that's not a direct that's not a direct correlation to the miscarriage. Indirectly you cause the miscarriage. It's only considered to be your responsibility to pay for the miscarriage if the blow was directly at the area where the womb is then you hold that person responsible now where do we know that from because it says he struck he struck a pregnant woman why do i have to say that she was pregnant because it means he struck her at the place where she was pregnant that's how he learns it that's where he learns this idea from that's what and that's the way will learn it as well right what does it say only close to the area of the womb. It doesn't mamish have to be mamish directly opposite the womb. Any area where the doctors can assess that there was a direct correlation between the, the blow and the impact on the fetus. Literally means the fetus overheated because of it. it means it was a, the trauma, you traumatized the fetus from the direct blow. But if it's, but, right? But Bafuke, to the exclusion of Yad Varegel, that he hit on a hand, he hit on a foot, and it's just the emotional uh, 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 shock or the pain that causes the mother that then affects the fetus, then you would not have to pay for that miscarriage. But that's what the word horror is teaching me, and therefore you don't have to learn like the Tanakama that it means, come and tell me, all the payments associated with the pregnancy go to the husband. No, it's telling me only Chayev if the, the, the blow was directly associated to this, the pregnancy itself and not indirectly caused her to miscarriage. Let's continue. We said in the Mishnah that had she had been a, a Shivra Kananis and then she was released, marrying an Evid who was released as well. 
oh Giores, or she was a Giores and she was released, uh, uh, she converted and married a Ger. Potter, in such a case, the damager is Potter. All right? Now, we're going to see that only makes sense. It means that the husband died. And what's the point? The husband died, but since now, she, he, uh, he, since he had converted or he had been released as an Evan, he has no relations, no relatives. And that is why the, 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 the perpetrator is going to be Potter because there's no one for him to pay. It's like Nechzeger, it becomes Hefker that he acquires. So I'm a rabbi. Here we're going to have, yeah, there's the Machlokas, Rabbi and Rechista. What's the Machlokas? So rabbi says like this, Lo shanu ela shechaval ba hager hager. That this is only talking about where the wound happened, the miscarriage was caused, the husband was still alive. And then after the husband died, right, the... Ger died. Since you struck her when the husband was alive. So in such a case, the husband, as soon as the, 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 the woman miscarried, and let's say based in awarded him the, the reward, it's, even, though, even though the money did not exchange hands, but the award was made to him, so he acquired the award. Now he's acquired the award, so therefore Zachba and Ger. Now, now that he dies, and there's no one to inherit it from him, then that, that asset, it's really not, it's not an asset in tangible form, but it's the award. Then the award becomes like it's Hefker, came into Mesa Ger, and now it becomes Hefker, the first person to get hold of it is the one that can keep it. Now who's the one that is holding the money that represents the award? Who's the one that's holding it? The perpetrator, the guy that hit the woman. So therefore, in such a case, that's why he doesn't have to pay because he's like seizing the award. He's the first one to seize the award that was already given to the husband. Aval, however, what happens, according to Rabba, this is Rabba, let's say the ger, the husband died first and only after the husband died was this woman struck and she miscarried. Now in this case, it was never given to the husband. It was never award was never awarded yet. So if it was never awarded, never given to the husband, and someone strikes the woman, says Rabba, who are based in going to award it to? Uh, Who's him? He doesn't get anything. Again, again, we said like this, the Torah gives it to the husband, fine. Now, once it's been given to the husband, husband dies, becomes Hefker, the guy who hit her keeps it. But let's say the husband died before the guy hit the wife. So they basically never awarded to the husband. The husband was dead already when the damage happened. So now the woman goes to Bastin and says, this guy hit me, caused me to lose my baby. Who would the Bastin award it to under that circumstance? Says Rabba. She doesn't get it. She's like, yeah, the woman, and the woman gets No, why? but she's alive. Why wouldn't she get it? Yeah, she gets it. She's alive. She would get it. Meaning that Rabbi says, the only, the Torah says, give it to him. So you give it to him. He gets the award. He didn't get the money itself. He got the award. He dies. So then it goes to the person. The person's holding the money. He says, I'm keeping it. It's Hefker. 
But if he wasn't around when the baby died, so there was no award made to the husband. So now when you go to Bastin, Bastin can't say we're awarding it to the husband. The husband's dead. Says Rabbi, in that case, they award it to the woman. And the woman will be able to collect it for the... The only time she can't get it is when the husband's around. But if the husband has died, then why can't it be awarded to her? So what Rabbi basically is saying is when the Mishnah says that you're exempt from paying it because the husband died, it's only if the husband died after the damage happened. But if the husband died before the damage happened, what would be the rule over there? It goes to the woman. It goes to the woman, correct. So says the Gemara as follows. Let's see. So now, that the cave and the mesa, right. But if he caused her the damage after the ger had died, she has the rights to collect it because at the point uh, it wasn't awarded to the husband, it gets awarded to her. And the perpetrator, the damager, will have to pay her. Now, comes along Rab Chista. And he says, I disagree with you, right? Because we're not talking about over here that, uh, that it's actually an, a real asset, an offspring. I don't mute. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking about, an, 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 a, a, an offspring is not, is not chattel. We're not talking about an evid here. We're talking about an offspring of a, of, 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 of a free person. Now, an offspring of a free person, really nobody owns. So it's not an asset, right? The way, the, 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 the way uh, Rabba seems to be dealing with it, there's an asset over here. There's the offspring. The Torah, for whatever reason, says, you know who has the rights to it? The, the father. So the father has the rights to it. If it's awarded to the father, so now he claims the asset. He claims the asset. If he dies, then if it hasn't been paid yet, the perpetrator says, well, it's Hefker now. I'm claiming the asset and I don't have to pay. Right? And if the, and if, if, if the husband wasn't around, then the Isha claims the asset. He says, but it's not true. For whatever reason, the Torah says you have to pay the husband for the fetus. That's the Torah's giving the husband the right to collect the, on the fetus. But the fetus itself is really not an asset. What do I mean it's not an asset? It's not something that anybody technically should own. So therefore, and the Torah says, you know who we allow to collect for it? We allow the husband or anyone who's in lieu of the husband, steps into the place of the husband. But if there is no husband, says Rab Chista, then you know what? What's going to be the rule? There is no husband. Nobody collects. There's no payment. Which actually, the Mishnah says potter. You, there's no payment because there's no husband. It's only the husband has a right. So therefore, you, so the point of contention between Rabchista and Rabba is that if the husband died before the damage, Rabba says the woman gets it. Rabchista says nobody gets it. No one has a right to claim on the baby. Only where the Torah says somebody has a right to get it. So it says more like this. So I'm Rabchista, Mari Dechi, master of this, master of this teaching. You, he's just dressing Rabba, the one who said what you just said. What are offspring of fetuses, <coughs> bundles of money? Are they assets? And therefore, he doesn't have it. She can collect it. She gets it. Right? We're not talking about assets over here. This is not tangible assets or intangible assets. Not an, we're not talking about monetary things. Ella, 
If the husband's around, the Torah awards it to him. If the husband's not around, lo, the husband is not awarded to him. The difference is that if the husband was around, and, or if the husband was not around, if, 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 if the husband's uh, proxies are around, who's the proxy? His offspring. His so, and, right, then they can step into the shoe. They consider like it's being awarded to the husband. But if you're dealing with Gerim and there's no uh, offspring, then what the Allah is, then nobody gets awarded. It doesn't go to her, that goes to nobody. That is the argument here between Rabbah and Rabchista. So Murakha has a question on Rabbah. Mesebe, there's a question on Rabbah's position that where there's no husband and the, and the damage happens after he died, the damage, it goes to the Isha. That was his position. What does the Brisa say? We had this Brisa before. He Somebody struck a pregnant woman, causing her to miscarriage. No Isha. So we have that says that the, 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 the damage and the pain, she has a right to collect unilaterally. The Dmevlados However, the value of the offspring that goes to the husband. Now, that's the Torah awards the husband. Ein habal, now if there is no husband alive, then no sin So if he has inheritors, they step into his shoes, they have a right to collect because the Torah awarded it to him. Ein isha, in a situation where she's not alive, then no saying liyorsheha, we give it to her yorshim. There is no, uh, uh, no saying liyorsheha, we give uh, uh, her damages, we give to her, her yorshim. Now, what does this mean? So, so the, the, the uh, Gemara on, uh, we had earlier, we had this morning, Mem Gimel, says where she is divorced. It says when she is divorced, then uh, the, uh, inheritance of the family goes to her. The family's inheritance goes to where, they, where she is divorced. That's, that's, I believe, that's how we learned before. Um, okay, so uh, let's go on. So, Now, what happens with dealing with there's no Yorshim? Because she was a Shivcha that had been just released and married an Evan that had just been released Oh, Gioris, or she was a con, or she was a convert, and he was a convert, and there was no heirs. Zoha, in such a case, the damager unequivocally collects it. Means it means Zoha, he keeps it, doesn't have to pay. Now we see over here, no distinction is made in the case of where it says obviously we're talking about a situation where he had to have died. Because he had died, because if he is alive, he would get it, meaning the husband. So he died, it says the, uh, that the, that the, the, the damager collects it. Now, according to Rambo, what it should say, what? Should make a distinction between what? What should it say? Should make a distinction between... When, when did the damage happen? Did the damage happen before the husband died? Or did the damage happen after the husband died? That's what Rabbah said. Rabbi says it doesn't matter. No husband, no payment. So therefore, it says the Gemara like this. So it says here, Zoha, that he keeps it and, 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 and doesn't make that distinction. So that's a Kasha and Rabbah. Why does it not make that distinction? Okay. So Gemara says like this. So Gemara says that... Uh, uh, Gemara says, Amri, the Bnei Yeshiva answered the following. 
And your question from the Brisa is really, it's no different than the way it's written in our Mishnah. Because what did it say in the Mishnah? The way Rabbi explained the Mishnah, it said in our Mishnah that if there's no inheritance, right? If there's no inheritors, no, there's no inheritors, and there was, because it was a shifcha married to a shifcha to an Ebed Meshukhrer. In our Mishnah, it also said, Zacha. That the, that the damager gets it. And came along Rabbah, and Rabbah said, what does it mean the damager gets it? It's davka shechaval babachaya hager hager. It's talking about where the damage occurred when the husband was alive, and therefore he got the award. The award in, in, in principle was awarded to him, and then he dies in such a case, the perpetrator keeps it, holds on to it, because it was actualized already in terms of it was awarded, and therefore it goes to the husband, and therefore it becomes hefker, and he takes it. But if, but, but if, if the husband died before that, that then Rabbah said it would go to her. So Rabbah had to learn the Mishnah is talking about that the damage happened when the husband was alive. So the same way the Mishnah is talking about that case, the bride said too, when the bride says Zohar, that the perpetrator uh, collects it or keeps it, also Achanami, Shechaval Hager, talking about that the Ger struck her when the, when, when the husband was still alive. And he only died afterwards. So that's one way you can explain it. That says Zohar doesn't make a distinction whether he's alive or not alive. Answer is, it is referring to specifically that it happened when he was still alive. Another way you can explain this is is actually when it says Zohar, it's talking about, it could even be referring to a case, the mission is talking about where the Ger uh, had died already. So we said, well, where Ger had died already, then it shouldn't go to the perpetrate, according to Rabbi, should go to the Isha. He says, but to me, Zachsa, the way to learn it, Tosa says, we're not changing the Girsa. The way to learn it is, Zacha, it is awarded, means it's awarded to her. Ah, it's written in the masculine. Zacha just means it's awarded. Now, who is it awarded to? It's always going to be awarded. In the case where the husband died first, it's awarded to her. In the case where the husband died afterwards, it's awarded to the perpetrator. But Zohar just means it's awarded. Who is it awarded to? Well, it depends on the scenario, but it's going to be awarded. That's the other way of understanding this. The Gemara says, so we have here a huge machlov between Rabbah and Rav Chista, how to understand uh, the Chachamim Ma'am. Mishnah, does it mean when it says that the husband died? Does it mean when it says that the, the perpetrator keeps it, it's only if it was already awarded to the husband, but it had not been awarded to the husband because he died before the damage, Rabbi said it would go to her or not. That's a machlokas Rabbi Nebuchist. And when it says, would appear to be a machlokas tanoim. How do we see this machlokas tanoim? So it says as follows. Bas Yisroel, Shanises, Bas Yisroel, Shanises Lager, Venis Abra Mimenos. We have a Jewish woman married a Ger. Okay, so he's a convert, she is not, and she becomes pregnant. And someone struck her while the ger was alive. The uh, perpetrator has to pay the value of the offspring to the convert. But if he struck her after the convert already died, Tani Chada, we have two versions of the Brisa. One Brisa says Chayiv, and one says, my love, Tanoi. That seems to be the machlokas. What happened over here? The ger dies first, and then the guy struck her. So now, that's the machlokas, Rabbi and Rabchista. According to Rabbi, you give it to her. According to Rabchista, there is no payment. One bride says, Chai, one guy says, Potter. Seems to be that this machlokas, Amaroyim, is actually a machlokas, Tanoi. 
So one says, L'Rabba Tanoihi. According to Rabba, there's no way to get out of it. Because Rabba was adamant that if the husband dies first and there's no Yorshim, that it goes to her. So he can only hold like the opinion that says Chayv. He's passing when says Chayv. I, the other bride, says Potter. So he holds the Machlokas Tanoim. So Rabba, you don't have a way to get out of it. But L'Chora, so therefore, but according to Rabba Chista, Mi Lema Tanoihi. Do we have to say it's machlokas tanaim? Mega machlokas tanaim is actually a little bit difficult because then you can't hold like both opinions. It's not so difficult. We can say that Rab Chista's way of understanding can fit both ways, both parts of the, both brightnesses. How? Because like this, Remember, we had a machlokas between Rabbonon and Rabshim and Gamliel in, in terms of whether or not the... Uh, the, the, the uh, appreciation associated with a fetus, whether that goes completely to the husband or the woman has at least half of it she collects it herself. And says the more like this. So what we're talking about over here is when the one that says chayev means that he has to pay. So it means like this. But, but basically, what, according to... Uh, according to the, what, what the Gemara is basically saying is like this, that according to the Bryce that says Chayiv, means even though the husband has died, there still is 50% of the appreciation, according to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, has to go to the woman. So Chayiv means that even though the husband died, and even though you don't have to pay for the fetus itself, but 50% of the appreciation of the fetus, that still has to go to the Isha because they held that she has the right to it. The one that says Potter is going like the Chachamim, that all of the appreciation was going to go to the husband. Husband died, so therefore Potter, because then, 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 you, then the, the person who damaged her holds on to his money, he doesn't have to pay anything. So this Chayv and Potter is not focusing on the Vlad itself, but it's focusing on the appreciation caused by the Vlad, and Chayv and Potter then becomes Machlok Zashim Gamliel, and the Chachamim has nothing, and, it's not, and according to Bechista, no opinion holds that she has a right to the actual fetus, the pa- payment for the fetus itself. So Harab Shem Gamliel, and Harab and Harab Shem Gamliel, says the Gemara like this, one second. If it's going like Rab Shimon Gamliel, then why does it have to talk about a case that, that uh, Rab Shimon Gamliel holds that she has a right to 50% of the appreciation? She has a 50% right to the 50% appreciation whether the husband died or did not die. So why is it saying, if the husband died first, Chayav, you have to give 50% appreciation to, to, to the woman. That's the way we're reading it. But according to Shem Gamliel, you always have to give that 50%. So how can you say that's going like a Shem Gamliel? So here of Shem Gamliel, so my Iri Lachamisa, why are we talking about specifically that the damage occurred after the, the Ger died? I feel a Mechayim, even if the Ger is still alive. Nami Islay, Palga, she still gets 50% of that appreciation payment. Moses says like this, the Chedesh over here is, Mechayim, if the damage happens when the Ger is alive, she only has a right to 50% of that appreciation because the other 50% of that appreciation goes to the husband. But now if he's died, La'achar Miso, in such a case, since we're already awarding the 50% to her and there is no husband to take the other 50%, in this case, she gets the full amount of that appreciation. It's true, she does not get the fetus, but she has a right to the full 100%. That's what it means. That's why it's about the Achar Miso, she gets the 100%. That's where the Chayv is going, the full 100%. So that's one way of understanding Rabbi Chista. So one way of understanding Rabbi Chista, it's got nothing to do with the fetus itself. The Machlokas over there is talking about the appreciation caused 
by the fetus. Chachamim say it would all go to the husband. Husband's dead, no payment at all. We understand why it has to be done with the husband's dead, because that's why there's no appreciation payment made at all, because it all would have gone to the husband, becomes hefker, the 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 gear, the, 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 the uh, perpetrator keeps it. But according to Rav Shimon Gamaliel, it's talking about that the appreciation that she has a right to collect. The question was, then why does it say when the husband died? When the husband died, even when the husband's alive, she has the right to appreciation. Die, the husband died, she has a right to full 100% of that appreciation. Husband's alive, she only gets 50%. That's how we explain it. That's one interpretation. Ebay's aim, another way to explain according to Rav Chista is the following. Havahar Rav Shimon Gamaliel. Rav Shimon Gamaliel is the author of both prices. Now, how could it work according to Rav Chista? Why is one say chai, one say potter? Khan bishrach vlados, khan bidmei vlados. And the difference is they're talking about different things. The one brisa that say, says potter, that's talking about the fetus itself. The fetus itself, actually, is not going to have to pay. Because according to Chista, even if the damage happened after the husband died, you don't get a right to collect it. There's no payment. So the fetus itself, that's the Bryce's potter. I, the Bryce that says Chayev, that's not talking about the fetus. That Bryce is talking about the Shvach Vlados. The Shvach Vlados, that the appreciation caused by the fetus, that she has a right to uh, a, a, itself. So that is the second way of learning it. So Amri, the Bnei Yeshiva, don't like that, that either, either, either explanation, they don't understand, they don't, they don't like. Why? So like this. Mishavach Vlados, they said that Mishavach Vlados, Lishama Dmei Vlados. I mean, if you tell me it's like this, is that, that why don't we say that if already you're awarding the Shvach Vlados, uh, that the the uh, uh, woman can get if the damage took place after the death of the husband. So if she has a shaykhus to the Dmevla, into the Shvach Vlados, so why don't you say the same thing? Then let her already have the Dmei Vlados. And similarly, why are you making this only in the sheet of Shem Gamlil? If you see in Shem Gamlil that she has shaykhus to something that she originally, originally would not have got, which is, I guess, the other 50% of the Shvach Vlados, so then why, according to, uh, according to Rabbonon, why don't we say the same thing? That even though before Michayim, she does not have a right to the Shvach Vlados or Dmei Vlados, but Misa, she should be able to get the Shvach Vlados. The same way you see in the same thing in Rabshim Gamliel. So why don't we say the same thing in the Chacham Shita as well, the Shamal Rabbonon. So Amri Loi. Shvach Vlados de Shaycha Yadavagavayu in the Shvach Vlados, Rabshim Gamliel holds, she already still has 50%. So once she has 50%, then Mimele, you could argue that she should get the other 50% as well, because she already has a shaykhus to it. Who should have got the other 50%? Was it the husband? But he's dead, then she can get the other half. But only because she started with the 50%. All right, so therefore, but So since she had part of it, but the Dmei Vladas, she has no shaykhus to it, so therefore, even the Achra Mises Abal, she has no Shaykhs to it. And that also then explains the Chacham, because they hold even in the Shvach Gladas, she, no, she has no Shaykhs to it. So the Achra Misa, she still would have no Shaykhs. So this, the Kasha was really on both of the uh, two Rutsim. Because if you, are, if you see from one, you get half, you get the whole. So then when the one would say, well, she can get something that she didn't have before, then why shouldn't she get the Mevladas as well? Teretz is because where you're already giving her half, you see she has a shaykhus to it. The only thing that stops her getting is the husband. No husband, maybe she should get it. So that's why it works for the second half in the first lotion. And that's also why we don't apply it to the, uh, 
to the Dmei Vladis, because there even when it, it, there's never a, 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 a situation that she has a shaykhas to any of it. In the Chacham Bechlal, she has no shaykhas to any of it, so even in Achimisa, she has nothing. All in the Shita of Rochista. The situation is as follows. The ger, let's say, has an IOU in paper form that he has a shibud on properties that belong to a, uh, another Yisrael, right? Now, we're going to see the halacha is that when a ger dies, whatever shibudim they are, die automatically. He loses the, loses the Shibud. So there's no question that if you seize the IOU, it doesn't allow you to go back now and collect with it because you don't have a right to the land. But it is possible a person doesn't know that necessarily. A person grabs the IOU thinking that I'm going to use this IOU to collect the land. Now the issue is at hand. That let's say he grabbed it. So and, and, and then what happened was somebody else pulled it out of his hand, took it away. So what's the Shiloh? So Shaila is like this. Ruvain, when he grabbed the IOU, maybe he thought, he didn't know the halacha, he thought that this gives him rights to the land, and therefore his main focus is to be Kona the Shibud, take over the Shibud from the gear, not knowing that it doesn't, and he doesn't have a right to the land. Somebody now comes and grabs it, that person says, okay, fine, I can't use the Shibud, but I'll use it for a piece of paper, I'll use it to roll up and then use it as a bottle stop. Or do we say is that when somebody seizes an, an IOU in paper form, he intends to do both, intends to use it for the shibud and for the paper. So even if he mistakenly thought he could collect with the shibud, he's not giving, he's, not, he's also being acquiring it for the paper, and therefore somebody tries to take it away from him, does not have the right to take it, has to give it to him because the, the Ruvain is still allowed to use it for paper, and Shimon cannot take it away. That's a shayla. So boy, Rav Yeva, Saba, Mirav, Nach, Shulger. Someone who grabbed the IOUs uh, the, 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 from, from, from the ger. Mahu, what's the din? We said when Reuben came to grab the paper initially, Adaita Arahu does he thought he's doing it to be able to use it to collect the property. But Halo Achzik and the emesis, he doesn't get the property because as soon as the gear died, the Shibun is broken. You cannot use it. That paper is worthless in terms of the Shibun. But Shtar and but since his focus was on the wrong thing, so he's not Kona it. He have to have Das to be Kona for the sake of the paper. He was been Kona for the sake of the Ara, and the Ara is not Kona. The paper is not Kona. Right? The so therefore, the lava died, the star is not in terms of the star, and somebody would now want to take it. That person takes it away from him. He can't, he can't say, I picked it up first. You picked it up for the wrong reason. So when a person picks it up, even if he has in mind for the land, he has in mind for the paper as well. So Amalei, so Rav Nachman said to Rav I'm sorry, so, so this was Rav Nachman, uh, Rav Yevesava had asked Rav Nachman. So Rav Nachman answered him. So Rav Yevesava asked Rav Nachman, Ani Amori, my teacher, please answer me. He, he said, what, what do you mean he, he's taking for the paper? What does he need it for? To go ahead and use a bottle stuff? Is that, that's what he wants to use it for? To, be out, the, the, to put it on top of a flask? I'm like, that's a yes. That's what he would want to use it for. That's not why is that so that, 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 that it costs a couple bucks to get a good paper uh, stopper. So therefore, yeah, that's what he wants to use it for. I'm a rabbo. What happens? We're not dealing with a piece of paper. Then we're dealing with a mashkon. So we're going to see the mashkon can go either way. Again, a mashkon is taken in order to ensure that your loan is paid back. You don't pay back the loan, I'm going to hold on to the mashkon. I might even end up keeping it depending on the terms of the mashkon. But it's just like this. A mashkon shall Yisrael biyad ger. So we had a situation, the ger had taken a mashkon from a Yisrael, and Yisrael owes him money. The mace, 
Now what happens is the Yisroel died. I'm sorry, and, and I'm sorry, the Ger, not Yisroel, the Ger died. Right? Umez Ger, the Ger died. Now by so therefore, so Ruvain owes the Ger money and he gave the Ger a mashkon. Ger dies. By Yisrael Achar comes along Shimon, the Hirzik bow, and he grabs the Mashkon. So now he's saying as well, the, the Ger now is dead, it's Hefker, I can take it. So what Ruvain says to him is no no no. He it wasn't that the only reason he was allowed to hold on to it is because there was a Shibud, there was a lien on it, there was a mortgaging my property, there was leaning on my property. But since it's broken as soon as he dies, therefore it's no longer belong to the gear. No longer belong to the gear. It goes it, it's my object. I own it. You can't take it away. Without even me making a Kenyan, it's the, it remains my object. And therefore, we take it away from Shimon and we give it to Ruben. My time, what's the reason? Came into Mislay Gear. As soon as the gear dies, Pakalashi Buddha, the the lean is broken. So the whole purpose of what allowed the gear to hold on to it is now removed. Therefore it really belongs back to Ruben. Now what happens if it's the other way around? Mashkana shall ger. A ger owed Ruvain a thousand dollars. So Ger owes Ruven a thousand dollars. A Ruvain took from the Ger a Mashkan. He took a collateral. Now he's holding the collateral. The Ger doesn't pay him. He says, You don't pay me. I'm gonna take the collateral. Now with the case in point, the item doesn't always have to be worth. Sometimes it's worth more. The item's worth two thousand. So but he says, I, I'm using this item to ensure that you pay me back the thousand. All right? Now what happened was, uh, Mesa Ger, the Ger died. Now the Ger died, so what happens over here, that the Ger owed Ruvain the money. This was the collateral to allow Ruvain to grab. But before Ruvain could get it, Shimon took it away. Now Shimon is claiming that, listen, this was the object of the Ger. Since it was the object of the gear, you are holding it, and the, the loan is broken. So let's say it reverts back to being the object of the gear, which now doesn't have an owner because he's dead. So now I own the object. So what have, what's the halacha? No, because what Ruven says to Shimon, he says, yes, it was the gear's object, but it was under my supervision. I had a, an a- acquisition on it to allow me to pay off the $1,000 that he owes me. And therefore, the bottom line is that as soon as he dies, so therefore, now I can't collect from him anymore, but I can still take my $1,000 from the object. So the $1,000 in the object, that now makes that object, at least $1,000 of that object belongs to me, and you've got to give me at least $1,000 of the object. Now what happens if we say if the object was $2,000? So then Shimon can say, fine. I'll sell it, I'll give you $1,000 from the object, but the other $1,000, since I grabbed, and on that, that part is Hefker, because that part you did not have a right to, and since I was the first one to seize it, it became Hefker, first thousand doesn't become Hefker, because that's collateral to you, fine. But the second half was not, and therefore I can keep the second half. So therefore, so, Zekana Keneged Ma'osav, Ruvain acquires up to the value of the money that he was owed. But Zekon is a shar, and Shimon gets the balance of what's left in the collateral, the extra thousand dollars, let's say, in our case. <coughs> Morris says like this, the fact that one assumes that this object was in the courtyard of Ruvain, so why doesn't, as soon as the Ger dies, it becomes Hefker, so even if Ruvain didn't pick it up, why doesn't the courtyard of, of Ruven automatically acquire it before Shimon picked it up? So Ruven should own the whole $2,000 object. Not Shimon, Shimon's taking it now from Ruven. 
Why don't we say that the courtyard acquires it for Ruven? It's in Ruven's courtyard. The Gemara assumes. That you don't even have to be aware of an item for it to be Kona. If something becomes Hefker in your item, in your courtyard, your courtyard can acquire it for you, even if you don't even know that it's there at the time. So, it says, without him being aware of it. So, Amri, the Bnei Yeshiva, answered as follows. That, that that the owner of the courtyard is not in the in the area. He's is is away. He's far away. Now, why does that make a difference? And what I was going to suggest that the courtyard can only work for you. It's true, it can work for you without you becoming aware. So therefore, but it has to be that you're around. So technically, you could have made the kin yourself. So one is assuming that the one is assuming that you, if courtyard can be a function of you. If you're there to be able to do it yourself, your courtyard can do it for you. But if you are away then your courtyard cannot do it for you in such a case. So let's see. So whoever the Esau, where the owner of the courtyard is easily today, he's around to Eboy Makni, Matsikani, because if he wanted to acquire it himself, he would have been able to acquire it. So then then the courtyard can work for him. But but where he is not around, the Eboy Hulamikne Lomatsikani, that he uh, that he wouldn't be able to acquire it himself if he wanted to pick it up and acquire it himself. So then Khatsera Nami Lokanyo. So then one is a big khidish over here that even if it's Kana Shalom Das, it's only Kana Shalom Das, where technically he could have done it himself. But if he couldn't have done it himself because he's not around, then it cannot work. So Moses says that, but that's not the halacha. The halacha is the lace of Chatzero. The halacha is that the courtyard, if it can work for you, it can work for you no matter where you are. So then you have back to our questions. If a courtyard could work for you no matter where it is, so why over here does Shimon get a right to pick it up and at least claim $1,000 of it? The chayra should be the whole $2,000 object should belong to Reuven. It's in his courtyard. You have to say is that that the lace of Chatzero, the lokana, is that it's talking about that the item was not, when the, at the time the gear died, the item was outside of the courtyard. It was not in a place that automatically was kind of for him. It's not a place that's automatically kind of for him. Therefore, the only rights he has to it is the part that was meshubed to the debt of the of the ger, and therefore he can collect his thousand dollars from that. That still remains his. The remaining thousand, Shimon says, I keep it because there was no chutz to be kona. We find it outside the chutz. But there comes out of chiddush that if chutz can be kona for somebody, even if he's not aware of it, and even if he is away, they couldn't have done it himself. Either way, the court, the courtyard will be kona, and that's the halacha. Gentlemen, have a good day.